Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. Okay, if you have a Bible, you can begin to open it to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We've got one more announcement to do, but I want to give you time to go ahead and find our scripture. Let those kids back in the, get back in there. Miss Kara, come on up here. Everybody give Miss Kara a hand. <laughs> okay, yeah, they're chanting your name. That's cool. All right, Miss Kara, um, I'm going to let her explain all this, but she has published a book, and it is a, it is a prayer journal, and I'm going to let her explain it to you, so give her your undivided attention. Thank you all. <laughs> um, most of you all know. Okay, (laughs) most of y'all know, but I'll just share a little bit. Um, We lost our son to suicide nine years ago, and it has been the roughest journey ever. Um, I remember standing in our driveway before his body was ever out of our house and making the statement, yet will I praise him. Nine years later, yet will I praise him. I will. I will. And there has been many days, months, where I didn't want to. Um, Doubt creeps in. It's very easy to creep in. And there's days you just don't want to praise God. You just want to be angry. And then you see your daughters walk away from God, and you just want to be angry. Um, And this started just for me. And it started just for me. Because yet will I praise him. I will. My backbone came up and I will. Um, And so I started this just for me. And it's just scriptures of gratitude. Ways to praise God no matter what you're going through. That's all it is. Um, And just, you know, it's specifically for parents who have lost children. It doesn't matter how you've lost your children just to keep the gratitude and the praise because it's the only way you're going to get through. Um, Like I said, it started off just for me, and God has blessed it, and it's now published on Amazon. Thank you. Very cool. It's called Gratitude in the Grief, 
uh, a journal for grieving parents. And so you can get on, you can get on Amazon. You can uh, type in that or Kara Utsi, and it should come up. Because I'm, I'm Kara. That's the only book you've written so far, right? Okay. Are you really? Okay. Well, my, my, bad joke. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So uh, yeah, she's working on another one, but she wrote this book. If you would like a copy of it, hi. I, I have a copy of it, even though that's not something I'm dealing with because I'm always knowing somebody in my life that I'm always needing to give it to. That makes sense? So even though you you may say, well, I don't need that book, well, you, you may know somebody who needs that book. And so you putting it in somebody's hands uh, could be a matter of being used by God in that situation. So go buy one. They've got paperback editions and hard. I've got the, the nice, pretty hard one. So, uh, man, that is a day I'll never forget. Many of us in this room won't forget. And um, this is going to be kind of a vein in the rest of the service today. Uh, I'm going to preach about the concept. uh, Let me just time out for one second. Talon shared with me a dream he had, shared with a group of us last Sunday night. And the concept of the dream was scars. And so I'm going to talk about emotional scars today and I'm going to talk about that scripturally for a second and so this this has the potential to get kind of heavy today if, if this is your first service ever with us um we're, normally we're a little bit not as heavy but today's going to be kind of heavy okay so you just stick it out um but it's going to get kind of heavy today scars and before I say anything else I want you to understand I am not capital N-O-T, a mental health expert. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. That was a great, that was a great, moment. <laughs> a great, a great moment to laugh. Uh, I'm not a mental health expert, okay? I'm not sure I'm an expert on anything, but the one thing I do know the most about is the scripture and spiritual stuff. So I'm going to do my best to talk about this today, not from a mental health standpoint, but from a place of spiritually, how do we attack whenever tragedy hits our life, whenever we are going through mental health issues, okay? Um, And it has to do with this concept of scars. I've got this cool scar on my arm right here, okay? Um, Whenever I was like 22 or something, I, I, I went on a motorcycle ride and got almost back to the house and had a very ter- terrible wreck. When I came to, I looked down and my arm was bending that way right here, okay? And there's a hole in my arm where the bone had come out. It was cool, right? So I picked up my arm and I threw it up and I walked up to the ditch like, this is cool, right? Not really. It was, it was way worse than that. But my point is I have this scar today. And uh, matter of fact, this scar, like you can reach down in there and touch the bone. It's, it is neat. Right? Anybody want to do it? Real quick? I mean, I'm joking. So it is neat, and so <laughs> that a boy. All right. So uh, the point is, is that we've all got physical scars. I mean, everybody in this room. Some of y'all have small scars, like you know, when you had chicken pox. Anybody ever have chicken pox? And they're little, and you got little bitty dots. You know, the scars left over, and and uh, then some of y'all have big scars. The coolest scar in the room today is by far Baby Cohen's scar. Right? He got this on his chest, and, and uh, it's the, he's, he wins the prize for coolest scar, okay? But my point is, is, like, we all got physical scars. Everybody in the room could go around, and they could say, here's the scar. This is what's the story behind it, right? And some of it is small stuff, like a, just a simple little accident, and some of it was major trauma. 
And, that, and it's like that way when it comes to our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Where we have gone through stuff that has left us visibly marked. Left us visibly marked. And we can look back through the journey of our life and we can see moments in time. We can actually see them because they're scarred on our psyche. And they're scarred in our, in our, in our, our soulish realm. And, and you can go, there's a scar and here's the story behind it. And some of those scars are real tender and, and, and they still hurt. And some of those scars have been so long that uh, you feel just numb. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. And so, and we've got scars, and it's not like, it's not, you know, kind of like guys around the campfire, like, oh, yeah, well, look at my scar. I've fought a bear, right? And so it's like a competition or something. It's not like that. It's not like we're going around the room today and saying who has the worst and who has the best. Everybody who's been through something hurt. Can I get an Amen. Everybody who's been through something experienced legitimate pain and hurt. And some scars may be bigger and some scars may be smaller, but they all left a mark. And it could be something like we just heard. Not just the death, but the suicide of a child. It leaves a gaping scar and hole in our heart. Or it could be something like a divorce that you went through that just wrecked your life. It could be... It could be uh, Going to church somewhere and you had an incredibly terrible experience with church hurt. Anybody ever had church hurt? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. The rest of you are lying. Okay. Okay. And so, and so you go through church hurt. It could be like Missy has shared many times, the divorce of her parents. Wasn't even her. The divorce of her parents and left this big scar. It could be, we could go down the list and we, it could be stuff that really even isn't fit to speak out loud in front of people. Abuses, children, whatever, just stuff I don't even want to say out loud. And, and, and you would be shocked. You would be absolutely mortified if you knew the stories of the people sitting in this room around you today. We look and we look at each other, and it's like, it's like one lady said to me this morning, she was like, uh, yeah, on the inside, I've got something going on. On the outside, I look fine. Right, I look like I'm fine, and we look around and we just see the external shell of what everybody has it, it has done in their life, and we think, yeah, everybody's good. That person fine. Their life has been easy, and we have no idea what they've gone through. And there's deep, real scars. Some of the scars are very public. Some of the scars are very public. They've had they've been accidents, you know, like a motorcycle accident where everybody knew about it, and some of the scars are very private, hidden in the shadows in the dark unspeakable things that are very private and they didn't want anybody to know. But there's people in this room, all across this room, who have real scars. So we're going to minister to everybody who Jesus came to touch your scar this morning. Okay? Now, I'm going to bring up a story about scars, and then I'm going to share, then I'm going to let Talon come and share this dream I'm going to say a few more words about it, and then we're going, to, we're going to have some sort of ministry time at the end of the service, okay? Everybody good? So there's this scripture in John chapter 20, and I'm tying the concept. Everybody say scars and faith. Everybody say scars and faith. 
there is a story about a man who is still known today as the adjective, the qualifier of his name, Doubting Thomas. And I don't know if you heard what, what she said a while ago, what Kara said. She said, you know, you aim to be grateful and you aim to have gratitude all the days of your life, but there were some days where you, and she used the word doubt. There's some days where you doubt. So I want to talk about, I want to, I want to link together in everybody's mind, scars and faith, and how when the scars get touched, that's when faith can reemerge. So y'all know this story. It's, it's in John chapter 20, I believe verse 24. Everybody say Thomas. Now see, the Bible doesn't say doubting Thomas. That's a, a name we gave Thomas, okay? But Thomas no longer doubts. He's very aware that Jesus is alive. Amen. So it probably, uh, how many of y'all did something that you're not really proud of a long, long time ago? Raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you are lying. Okay, it's fine. All right, so we can all raise your hand. How many of y'all would like to have an adjective uh, according to your, a bad moment in your life that stuck with you for the rest of your life? <laughs> no, nobody wants that, right? So how about we give Thomas a break, right? The no longer guy who is doubting, like literally, like literally it was over pretty quick. And then he became very much believing, believing to the point he went and died for Jesus. All right, so Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, that word Didymus only means twin, so he had a twin, okay? Was not with them when Jesus came. Now, this is after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus has died, been buried, and raised from the grave, and he has appeared, if I say appeared, to many of the disciples, except when he appeared to many of the disciples, Thomas wasn't with them, okay? I'm not sure what he was doing, but he wasn't there. So he hasn't seen with his physical eyes and touched with his physical hands, Jesus raised, resurrected, okay? So next verse. So the other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord, okay? But he said to him, y'all, if I can just fill in the blanks, listen, boys, I watched him die on the cross, I was there when we wrapped his body and stuck him in the tomb. He was dead. People, dead people don't just graze. Unless Jesus did it, but he's dead. So I think we give Thomas a real hard time for most of us would have been like Thomas. Yeah, I don't know about that. Just because Twitter said it don't make it true. Amen. All right. So we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands. We all know Jesus was crucified on the cross and he had nails through his hands, wrists, whatever. He had nails through his hands and he had nails in his feet. Okay. So there would be legitimate scars there. Uh, Some people like to portray the idea that there's a, a constant hole all the way through his hand. I don't know. But what we all can know for sure is that if I had a nail, a big spike shoved through my hand and it was healed, there would still be a scar left from the wound. Amen. And those scars are proof that you survived. So the other disciples were saying, 
We've seen the Lord, but he said, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, unless I can touch the scarred places of Jesus, I just don't know if I can, I can swallow this. I'm just not sure that I believe this, this happened. Okay? After eight days, the disciples were again inside. Everybody say inside. They're in a room. You have to understand the climate. Jesus has been crucified not too long ago. The disciples have no idea what to do. They're essentially in hiding. That makes sense? They're essentially in hiding, and they're just hiding out in this, in this room. Okay? And Thomas is there with them. Jesus, there's a star by the word came. Uh, Jesus somehow entered the room, but he didn't use the door. Now that's cool. And so I don't know if he translated like what reappeared. I don't know if he walked through the wall. I don't know if he walked through the door that was shut. All we know is that Thomas, come here, Chad, you be Thomas. Stand out there, Thomas. Thomas was in the room. This is how I picture it happening. And Jesus, okay, uh, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst, Look that way, Thomas. Okay, and then Jesus appears in the room, and he's standing behind. He's standing behind Thomas. There's been no sound of a door going clank. There's been no sound whatsoever. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, "Peace." <laughs> and Thomas pooped his pants. You see what I'm saying? Like, is that did Jesus just stand there and like? And like the craziest thing is to say, is like I would have said, "Boo." Right? He's like, deuces. He's like, peace. Which is like the opposite of what they felt when they saw Jesus walk through a wall. That makes sense? Here comes Jesus appearing in a room. Boom. Peace. Ah, yeah, yeah, peace. (laughs) Right? Okay. So, peace. Jesus wasn't there physically when Thomas said, unless I touch his hands, unless I touch his side. But Jesus knows. This is what I want to say to everybody in the room who's gone through trauma and you thought he was never listening. You thought thought the heavens were as cold and shut off. He heard every word. He knows exactly what you said, even the stuff you wish you hadn't said. He heard it all. And he ain't coming to judge you. He's coming to show himself to you. So he walks through the wall, already knowing what had been said. And he says, Thomas. And he sticks out his hand. Right? Reach here with your fingers and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And this is what Thomas said. My Lord, my God. One touch of Thomas to Jesus. And all the doubt, all the doubt has washed away. And he goes, 
my king, my Lord. And what, listen, what the scar was able to prove was that faith would be reignited inside of Thomas's heart to believe that Jesus is who he always said he was. See, the doubt in their minds was, if you're the Messiah, how are you dead? The doubt was in his mind, if you're God, how could you let this happen? This is not who you said you... You understand what I'm saying? What the, what, what the touching of the scar was to illustrate, I am exactly the guy I've always said I am. I am very much real. I'm very much alive. It's me. This is, what I, this is what I believe. I believe there's many people in the room, most people in the room, you've gone through hell on earth in some form or fashion, and you're the one that's been scarred. Amen? And your problem is not believing in God. I think most people in this room believe in God. Somebody say Amen. Even going through hell, even going through the tragedies that you've faced, you, you still know he is who he said he was. Okay? But still, there's a crisis of faith. And it's not necessarily believing in him. It's believing, period. It's like my believer is broken. And I'm going to talk more about that. Come here, Talon. Talon's going to share this dream he had. I want to say this as, a, as an aside for a second. Time out one second. Raise your hand if in the last two or three weeks you have had more spiritual dreams than you've had in a long time. Raise your hand. I want you to look across this room. I'm going to raise your hand like you're proud of the dreams. Okay. I want you to look up. There have been more. There is something about spiritual dream activity that has increased in the last few weeks that is that I need everybody to pay attention to. If you're having dreams, write them down. If you don't know what they mean, welcome to the club. I had a dream the other night. I don't dream, y'all. That's Missy's lane. My lane is like, you know, something different. I don't dream. I had a dream the other night. I don't know what it means. It was weird. It makes no sense. Uh, but I woke up fighting mad, and I was going to rip somebody's head off. But it was spiritual, okay? And so... Uh, Missy's been saying, I had a dream. And I'm like, and she hadn't been saying that in a while. And other people were just talking about they've been having dreams. So pay attention to your dreams. Write them down. And if you don't know what they mean, share them with some trusted people who that you believe are spiritually discerning. And then maybe start processing and pray about those things and let God process out meaning. Because they're there to direct you in the same way that this very service today is being directed because of a spiritual dream. That makes sense? So I want Talon to share this dream he had. So the context for this is, well, for me, this has been the greatest year of my life and feels like sometimes the worst of my life because of what my son has been through and what we experienced and have been experiencing over the past year. And um, it has been a fight to stay centered on God and it has been one of those moments where you just have to dig your heels in 
and I'm not yielding to this, but it's been a fight. And the context of this dream is on the tail end of a series of what I would consider to be, and I don't say this lightly, I'm not flippant with this, what I would consider to be a series of orchestrated mental attacks on myself through dreams, uh, dreams of regret, um, dreams of seeing a mirrored reflection of myself and getting into a fist fight with myself, and dreams of seeing myself as a teenager, as a 14-year-old boy, and being on my knees and apologizing to my 14-year-old self for failing him. And, and so, but I knew something was wrong with them, those dreams. I know they weren't mine. And this dream that I had was an answer to my cry for help from the Lord. This dream starts, the room I was in doesn't matter. Because I know it doesn't matter because I didn't see the room. All I know was that I was in a heavenly place with Jesus. And we're standing there and we're looking at each other. We're not saying anything. And I'm observing his body. And I'm seeing all the scars that are my fault. He's scarred because of what I did. And I asked him, can I touch? Can I touch your scars? And he said, yes. And so I'm tracing the lines of the scars on his body and I'm, I'm feeling where the the spikes were inserted into his limbs, and um, I feel the side. I'm feeling the pocket where the spear was inserted into his side to make sure that he was dead. And I'm feeling all of his scars, and after I get done, I take a step back, and we're looking at each other again, and. He says to me, can I touch yours? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, what do you talk? And I said, what are you talking about? I don't have any scars. And I looked down and it the best way I know how to describe it is it was not my physical body, but it was my spirit. And I'm looking down and I'm riddled with scars. And I'm, as I'm surprised at my own state, he starts touching mine. And these scars were moments in my life of trauma. And like when he would touch a scar, say on my chest or wherever, he would put his finger and it was like we were transported back to that memory of that trauma. And he was in that moment watching it happen to me. Every single bad experience that I've had, we went one, he went one by one and put his hand into, and we went to that moment. And...
and after he, we were, after he got done, we're standing there looking at each other again, and I ask him, was it worth it? And he said to me, absolutely. Me asking, was it worth it? I was talking about the scars on his body. Was it worth it? And he said, yes, absolutely. So the, <clears throat> one of the things he talked about when he turned the other night, he's like, he wouldn't just touch the external, like he would, he was, his finger would like sink down into the scar and it would like heal, not the scar go away, but it would like heal from the inside out. And this is what I, I this is what I, where I want to tie back scars to faith. And I don't think that the church in this room is in crisis of not believing in God. He isn't who he says he is. I believe there's this crisis of what he wants to touch your, your scars. And it's like, do you still believe that he has good things for your life? Or are you too damaged to go forward? There's some real scars in this room. I'm, I, I look around this room, and I know lots of people's stories. I don't, but I don't even know some of your stories. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, how did they go, how do they, how do they get past it, how do they move forward? I don't even know, I, know, I don't know what it takes in here to do that. What I do think it believes is a faith in Christ, not that, yes, I believe in you, but there's this, I think like there's this voice from heaven where he's saying, I still believe in you. And I still believe in your future. And I still believe in everything I ever called you to. And I still believe in every dream and vision and purpose I ever put inside of you. And I still believe in you and you're not damaged goods. And you're not going to be defined for the rest of your life by one scar that happened. That there is a destiny from the moment, from before the foundation of the world. I called you out by name, and that name is still the same. It's not dead. It has been resurrected, and we're going to move forward. So I do believe it's a faith issue. It's as much believing as do I believe in God, but do you still believe He still believes in you? And has a has good things in your life. I talk to so many of you, and, and and it's like I'm always fighting a battle. I'm always fighting a war. I feel like there's no end in sight. I feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I just feel I feel kicked down and destroyed. And this is listen to me. And I think there's so many people in you're, you're, you're not so many people. There's some people in this room that you thought like this is the way life is always going to be from now on. And it's a matter of faith is do you believe, not, look at me, not that you'll never have scars. What she talked about, I don't think there's, I don't think there's an ever a day in her life for, that she doesn't have a scar there. But it's you, you heal that that thing, that scar is just a marker of a memory and no longer the definer of your life. For Hmm. I, I still want you to believe that you can heal. I 
still want you to believe that God can touch you and you can heal. You are not, you are not going to live the rest of your life broken down, dysfunctioned, and destroyed by a moment or moments of time. The resurrected Jesus can stick his finger into the worst part of your life. And there will still be signs, but he can stick his finger to the worst part of your life and bring enough healing to you that you can still accomplish everything that you were destined before the foundation of the world to accomplish. I, I hear this a lot. And, and there's truth to this. But when that thing happened to you, whether it happened to you or you caused it, who cares today? Like the time we're talking about regret, who cares today? God wants to heal it all. Amen. But I hear this phrase, I died that day. How many of y'all have said that? Well, I mean, raise your hand. I died that day. How many of y'all have said that? The story still applies because it's about a man who was dead but was resurrected. And I believe part of you may have died that day. But I still believe that God is the God of resurrection. I'm trying very hard not to just look at every person in the room and go and talk to you individually knowing what you've gone through. But I, I believe this is absolutely a destined day from the Lord where God wants to touch our hearts, our scars. Now, I think that especially in charismatic Pentecostal circles that we are in, that we tend to preach healing in this way. And I'm talking about physical healing. I'm talking about emotional healing, spiritual healing, and healing in your soul. We tend to preach it this way. Either it's instantaneous in the moment or it's not healing. I mean, know what I'm talking about. That's simply not true. Healing, is a, healing can happen that way, but it's just like your natural body, a lot of times healing happens in progression. Where some of y'all don't know what it's like to have victory where you could just wake up the next day. Right? Some of y'all know what it's like to have victory where you could just get out of bed and put one foot in front of the other. And I took a shower today. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all been there? I went back to work today. I, I, whatever. So when I say we're going to pray, I'm not even talking about necessarily, I'm not even sure yet if we will have people lay hands on people, we might do that. But I'm saying I, I'm not anticipating. It is not my my uh, thought to present to you this idea that you come to the front of the room and somebody touches you on the head and then you're fine from then on. I am presenting to you the idea that Jesus Christ 
is looking at you. So many times we present dealing with situations where we're rightfully saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, don't look away, fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. We put 99.9% of the earnest on us to keep our gaze on him. And there's just some days you've been knocked down so hard. Look at me right here. that You've been knocked down so hard it's hard to see anything. I'm telling you, you need, can you believe today that he has his eyes on you? That he is fixing his gaze upon you, and you're the son, you're the focus of his attention in this moment, and he wants to touch some things inside of your heart, and he wants to bring a healing that maybe maybe you're maybe you're years down the process, but you just need one or two more steps, or maybe you've recently gone through something that you're just trying to put one step in front of the other. Either way, he wants to take you another step further down the road. Understand what I'm saying? So Jesus wants to touch you. Again, I say, I'm not a mental health expert. But from a spiritual standpoint, in the same way where we invoke faith, to believe for physical healing in our bodies, we must invoke faith to believe for emotional and soulish healing in our soul. Does that make sense? It's an act of faith. We have to get to the place where we believe God wants to and is going to touch us and bring us. I almost preached another sermon uh, Piggyback with this one is the idea of a leper. The leper in the scripture, when the leper had uh, contracted leprosy, his whole, his whole life and identity was now something different. And he was ostracized from the community. And he was so identified by his sickness that everything responded to his sickness and not his humanity. And there are some of us in the room that everything in your life is responding to your sickness. And there was no hope for a cure. There was only the idea of get as far away from everybody else as possible, isolate, and live out the rest of your days in sorrow and anguish. That is not the will of God. Because Jesus said to this leper, you can be made whole. And Jesus was willing to touch, even before it became a scar, the most disgusting part of that man's life. The most difficult, hard-to-touch part of that man's life. He was willing to touch it. And that is the same for you. Whatever, whatever scar, whatever thing is in your life, in your past, in your, whatever trauma you've gone through, there's real legitimate uh, trauma in a lot of your lives and stuff you've gone through. Uh, I don't want to start using technical terms because I don't. That's not my field. I'm saying you've gone through real stuff, and Jesus wants to touch it, and He wants to break off not only the shame, the shame of what happened to you. But he wants to touch you and say, "This is not the identity of your life. You are." 
the healed of the Lord, and you will move forward, and your, your past will be there, but it will be there. Yeah, hang on one second. We'll just do it in one second. I am going to do something, okay? Again, if you're a visitor, uh, I promise you that the Holy Spirit is leading this service, and it's not always this heavy, but today we're doing what the Lord wants to do. Amen? I am going to publicly attack something right now, okay? And I was told by the Spirit to do this months ago and have been waiting for the proper moment to do this, and I'm going to do it. And I know, look, if you don't want to respond, that's fine. It is completely fine, okay? And God's not even mad at you. Amen? This ain't about that. But if suicide has touched your life in some form or fashion, I want you to get up and come to the front, please, right now. Just sit. Can y'all, can y'all, uh, will you do me a favor and just, yeah, can y'all vacate this second row? Y'all come up here and just sit right here. Anybody else? If suicide has touched your life in some form or fashion, I want you to just come sit on these front two rows. If there's anybody else. Somebody can, uh, yeah. I hate suicide. Somebody say amen. Amen. Suicide, uh, is it now the leading cause in teenagers? It's either the first or second leading cause amongst teenagers is suicide. It is an epidemic that is absolutely, it is an epidemic that is trying to destroy a generation. Abortion and suicide are two sides of the same coin. I was sitting at my table, my kitchen table. Uh, This has been a couple months ago. And um, Miss Cindy's son, Seth, had just passed about a week or so before that. Maybe two. I don't remember. It, it was sometime after that. And I will never forget as long as I live that the first Sunday that Miss Cindy came to church after her son had been buried, she did exactly what you talked about. And halfway through worship, she got up out of her seat and she came and she stood right here. And she threw her hands up and began to worship God. And there's lots of people in the room who had no idea who she was or why she was there. And tears are rolling down my face. I look up at Lacey and tears are rolling down her face. And everybody who knew her, tears are rolling down her face. And you may say, you may say, what kind of pain is this? And I say, what kind of faith is that? 
You may say, what kind of pain is that? I say, what kind of faith is that to look evil in the eye and say, but I will yet praise him. And so there is only, there's only one definition and label on Cindy Vaughn. And it's not the mom of the son who did this. It's the woman who knows how to praise God when she's slapped upside the head by hell. That's how I'll always remember her for the rest of my life. And we need to do better as a people of God about properly identifying who people are. Y'all out there? And so I'm sitting at the table and I'm working on a sermon or I don't, I don't know what I was doing. It was Greek or something. I don't know. I was sitting at the table and I was working. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't think about anything. And the Holy, said, the Holy Spirit says, buy Cindy a necklace. And so, and as soon as he said a necklace, I knew, I knew what he was talking about. Because years ago, I bought Missy this necklace. And this necklace was a little pendant. It's like a modern day, uh, what do you call those things? A modern day what? Lock it. Yeah. Are you wearing yours? Cool. I didn't tell her we were doing this. So I got on Facebook and I did this creepy stalker thing and I found a picture of Cindy and Seth. I'm going to say his name, Seth. And they were in a group family photo and man, she was smiling. He was smiling. So I cropped everybody else out of the picture. When you hold this necklace up to the light, you can see a memory of a son and a mother smiling. There are some dark days in your life. Some really, really dark days. How many of y'all have gone through some dark days? Raise your hand. Come on, don't be shy in this room. You've gone through some dark days, but when you hold the situation up to the light, when we go from a horse, see, I gotta, I gotta take this necklace and I gotta really focus my attention. I gotta really focus my attention. My head's down, everything's dark, and I can't see anything. But if I look into the light and focus my attention and really narrow my gaze, and I look through the necklace, I see Cindy and she's smiling. And I see Seth. And he's got a big burly beard he's got a smile across his face and the thought was a necklace that she could wear and man that chain looks small we can fix that okay that when days are dark maybe she can take a moment and look into the light Cindy, I want you to have this necklace. And this, I did not pay for this. The church paid for this. It wasn't that expensive. <laughs> Who cares? Anyway, man. 
you don't have to wear it all the time. You don't have to wear it at all. You can put it, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do with it, you do with it. But my hope and my prayer is for all of you who have gone through a situation where suicide has touched your life, that you're able to look through that situation into the light and see something that doesn't remind you of the death, but reminds you of the life. See something when Jesus walks in that that was the man who was dead, but now he's fully alive. So y'all hold your y'all hold each other's hands because y'all know y'all know what I don't know. I don't want to know. And I want this church to stretch your hands towards them right now. My prayer is real simple. Jesus, reach inside of them and touch that scar. Touch a part of them I could never begin to understand. And my prayer is that they would believe again that the rest of their life is not defined by the tragedy but their life is defined by the resurrection of Jesus. And they would believe that there are good days ahead. And they would believe that there is life ahead. And that a shadow of death would not constantly be over their existence. But like the good shepherd, that they would walk through the valley and come out on the other side. And God, that the scar might be there. But I pray that only you would do what only you can do. And that is bring some, some semblance of peace. When you walked into the room, you spoke peace. And I pray that you bring some semblance of peace into their hearts. That they would believe that they would believe, that they would believe and believe and believe and believe that you have their future in your heart and in your mind. So we pray this over them right now in Jesus' name. I want everybody to stand up. Real simply, this is how we're going to do the rest of this service. If this message is speaking to you and you're willing in this moment to let Jesus just kind of touch a part of your life that is scarred, I'm not even sure if anybody's going to pray for you right now. But if you, if you want to take a step of faith... And that is putting yourself in a position to say, Jesus, I make what like what Talon's dream, a really powerful point, is when he became vulnerable and said, You can touch, you can touch that. You can touch that scar. And if this message is speaking to you, and there there seems to be a moment, a situation that is replaying in your mind over and over and over again that you know exactly, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what He's talking about. And if you want to take a step of faith, I'm asking you to get out of your seat and come to the front and just come up here, uh, right here. And I want, I want you to begin to pray. And I want Jesus to begin to touch that area of your life.
Come on, don't be ashamed. There's people all across this room. Come on, if that's you. It can be something big. It can be something small. If it scarred you and the Holy Spirit's talking to you about it today. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to sit down, you can sit down. If you want to stand up, you can stand up. I know there's more people in this room than that. Just close your eyes, bow your head. I want. I also want to say, specifically, if you've been dealing with shame, there's some area of shame on your life, or like Talon called it, regret. There's some area of shame or regret on your life. If that specifically, again, that goes back to believing. That goes back to believing. Does God, will he ever, will there ever be good days ahead? Will there ever be a day when he doesn't see me like the shameful person? If there's some kind of shame or regret on your life, I, I want you to get out of your seat and come. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would not see just somebody in their seat this morning would not see an altar with strangers or people in there. They would see Jesus standing there and they would approach you this morning. If there's anybody else I really believe God wants to mark this moment in your heart. still people coming that's okay it's okay this is not easy this is not for the faint of heart this is not something flippantly if anybody else wants to come we're waiting we're patient
Anybody else? So here's how we're going to do this. I want leadership, and, and, and I, I want I need leadership to come to the front. I only want you to pray for people you feel absolutely led to pray for. There's some people up here who's not even supposed to be prayed for. Because this is a real one-on-one moment with God. So I want leadership up here. And if somebody's highlighting, if the Holy Spirit's highlighting somebody to you, I want you to pray for them. If not, you just stay out of the way. If you're up here in the front, get out of this room. Get out of this room. In your heart, in your spirit, get alone with Jesus. This is between you and Him. Between you and Him. Get out of this room. Just talk to Jesus. just you can stretch your hands and pray for people you feel led to pray for if you feel very very strongly like you're supposed to pray for somebody come find me and run that by me and we're going to do we're we're going to handle this very carefully this morning if you feel very led to pray for somebody come find me
if you're in the front, you can just stay where you are if you want to. But if you're out there, I want you to sit down. I want to say one more thing, and then we're going to dismiss, okay? and it's something I was thinking about earlier. There is genuinely, everybody hear me now, there's genuinely only one place you can feel safe. at work probably not at home probably not at church it is in the presence of the Lord can be in jail preparing to die but be in the presence of the Lord Paul and Silas one of the hardest things when we go through times of mental anguish the hardest thing to do is get into the presence of the Lord I mean I'm talking about to shut down everything out here to get into the presence of the Lord. That's where your real battle and war is. That's if you want to talk about what spiritual warfare is to get inside his presence. Here at the armory, I would like to promise you that this is a safe place. I don't believe in safe places. I believe the safe place is the presence of the Lord. I believe that everywhere where there's other people, you're in danger. Your family, how many of y'all have ever been hurt by a family member? Your family, your friends aren't always safe. Ask Job. Church ain't always safe. How many of y'all have ever been in church hurt? The call is to live in the presence of the Lord. Amen? And if we get lucky, we're all living in the presence of the Lord. And when we get together, it works out pretty good. Amen. The idea that we can create a world where we're completely safe is a farce. But you have Jesus. And where, where can I go and escape his presence? If I go to the heavens, he's there. If I make my bed in Sheol, he's there. I cannot escape his presence. Get in the presence of the Lord. If you can't get in the presence of the Lord, you get some friends who know how to get in the presence of the Lord, and you make them help you get in the presence of the Lord. How many of y'all have had some friends that will pray you through? Oh, y'all don't. I mean, pray you through. 
So I know this is an armory. This is something that Andrew said. I love this. This is an armory, and we're talking about being equipped. We talk about putting the the uh, armor of God on, but the the presence of God is one place where you can take the helmet off and you can take the armor off, and you can just come completely bare before the Lord. Amen. And say and make yourself vulnerable. If there's one thing I could say in this message, is this is an attempt to get into the presence of the Lord and let Him touch you. If you've gone through real stuff, and most people in this room have, you this has to be the habitual pattern of getting into His presence and letting Him touch you. Amen. Let Him let Him pick ticking that finger on that scar or whatever. This this service has no end. This altar call has no end. It's the call to continue to get before the Lord and let Him touch those places of your heart until you've so redefined, until He's so redefined that moment that is not defining you anymore. Amen? Look, I was jokingly fighting with... uh, with Haley the other day because she likes to call me a millennial and all this kind of stuff and I'm like I was born in 81 we're not millennials even though the internet says we are the point of bringing that up is like I'm genuinely not the real mushy gushy type of guy you know feeling you know feely feely kind of guy I'm genuinely try not to be so this is going to sound pretty millennial and it's okay there are some good things about millennial andrew came to the rescue and said chester you're the best of generation x and you're the best of millennials combined i'm just the best amen (laughs) thank you andrew for the word of encouragement but missy talked about to me she's like there's this fear of letting him touch that place and so in the name of jesus i just I want to do some spiritual warfare at the moment. I pray that that fear would be driven off every heart in this room, that we, that you would recognize him as the one safe place where he can touch that thing. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, of power, love, and a sound mind. And I pray that that fear of letting him touch that spot that instead of fear, you'd have great courage. For just like someone prayed the other day, I think it was Andrew in this prayer meeting, that you are a Joshua generation. You have been called to be strong and courageous, even in the face of pure evil that's happened to you or evil that you've done. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that courage would come over you, that in your place with Jesus, in the presence with Jesus, that you would be able to make yourself vulnerable, strip off all the layers of protection that you've had to put on to keep yourself sane, and begin to take those off and allow him to touch you. And that you would make that such a habit part of your life until you are redefined, until there's joy again, and there's hope again, and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is how I want to end the service, and this is the millennial part of me coming out. And if you don't want to participate, don't participate, okay, by any means. But I want you to, when you stand up to be dismissed, I want you to look around the room, okay? (laughs) This is like, this is totally not what I do, okay? I want you to, I want you to look, and you see somebody? I want you to just walk up to them. Don't say a word unless you, you know, don't, just 
just hug somebody that the Holy Spirit's put on your heart to hug. Okay? Okay, millennial. I'm going to tell you one last story. Um, went through a really, really difficult time in my life. Me and Missy, we almost got divorced. It was terrible. Bad, bad, bad. Felt like God was a million miles away. Felt like I had, I deserved the punishment of God. And on some, and I did. You see what I'm saying? On some level, I did. It was terrible. I remember going to a church service. I remember before church, being in a place of prayer, just trying to break through the through the steel plate that was above my head, right, to get to God. And I just couldn't. I just felt like, I felt like heaven was shut off. And there was this old man who played bass. <clears throat> and I had responded to an altar call, just like many of you responded to an altar call. And this old man walked up to me. He had a pop belly. Thankfully, I was skinny at this time because not have been like a teeter-totter as it would been today. Anyway, my, my point is this old man, he had a big white beard. And he walks up to me, and I'm standing there, and I'm praying. And I'm trying to, like, I'm, 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 I'm uh, striving. That's the word for it. I'm striving. I'm trying to get God to look at me. Come here. I'm trying. I'm sorry. You know, right? Like, I'm trying to get God to look at me. And... I'm standing there, and, and I've got my eyes closed. I don't even hear you coming. Next thing I know, this old man with the strength of Samson reaches around me, squeezes me, and picks me up and starts belly laughing like Santa Claus. <laughs> That's Pentecostal church for you. And at first, I was like, stop it. I'm trying to get over to God. Right? I need to fall out in the spirit. <laughs> Quit it, Santa. You're of the devil anyway. So my point is, it's a joke. It's a joke, okay? And then about the more he laughed, the more I melted. And at some point, the Holy Spirit said, I've been trying to say this for a long time. What was this? <laughs> like it was just this idea of I enjoy you that makes sense and from that moment forward like the depression of the situation had greatly diminished and began to wax and began to melt off my heart so I'm not asking I'm not asking Andrew to walk over there and bear him, oh, 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 right, and just shake you around but I'm saying sometimes the, a spirit led hug can break something off of you so if you're looking around and you see somebody that, and if, if you don't like hugs and you don't want to hug you, I suggest you make your way for the door as soon as I say amen. Yes. Huh? We have a closing song. We're going to sing a closing song. Everybody stand up on your feet. need a microphone there you go so I had already thought about this song and then he came up and showed it to me so maybe I can play it but y'all can help me sing it so I can focus on playing right <laughs> the blood that Jesus shed for me 
to a scarred people who are healing in the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. May you go in peace and may God be ever present and ever near. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, go hug somebody that you feel like to hug.